0: Love's a fellowship. Love it, love it, love it. Church family, what it should be. Speaking of family, we got a family back. And we're so happy to have the Wiccans family back with us. A um, couple of announcements, and then we'll dive into the scriptures this morning. Um, men, you, you have the opportunity to have a men's sort of night out with other men, Saturday, August 9th. So uh, guys, go back, check out, get the information off of Woody, off of the men's table, back there after the service, if you're interested to to talk to Woody about that. And then this Tuesday night, Refuel Bible Study starts back up over in the cafeteria. Yes, I'm very excited about it. In fact, I'll probably be practically out of my mind by the time Tuesday, 7 o'clock rolls around, uh, even more than normal way my mind works. Um... So uh, don't forget that this Tuesday from 630 to 7, there's going to be pizza over there for everybody. Uh, So we're going to feed you both physically and hopefully feed you spiritually on Tuesday night as we uh, enter into a new study on Tuesday night in the book of Acts that I'm really excited about that really is going to dovetail And goes right along with what we've been talking about here in the book of Romans lately as well. And so speaking of Romans, let's go to Romans chapter 8 this morning. And uh, let's look at what the scriptures have to say for us in Romans 8. And for those of you that uh, weren't able to be with us last week, let me just quickly sort of build off of where Paul's going and why Paul's talking about what he is this week. Paul shared sort of a personal testimony last week in chapter 7 about being so tortured through failed attempts. He he was trying really hard to be what God wanted him to be and what he thought he should be and all of that. But he kept failing because even though he knew what he should do and even though he was trying really hard, he was doing it in his own strength. He was doing it in self, if you will, and he learned the powerlessness of self, that that self can't achieve something spiritual, if you will, that the only way we can live in that spiritual realm is through the aid of the spirit. And so Paul said, I had to learn to not do it myself and begin to let God do it through me. And Paul said, when I learned that in my Christian life, he said, my whole Christian life changed from defeat after defeat and frustration after frustration because I was trying to do it on my own. And yet God kept saying to me, I'll help you. But obviously God doesn't force himself on us. So we have to be willing to sort of reach out and reach up to him and say, God, will you help me? And God is always there to help. So what Paul now is doing in chapter 8 is this. He's reminding us that as a Christian, we have sort of a unique position. That even though we still have our fallen human nature living within us, because we still live in a physical body. So Paul says, that's why any Christian is capable of anything anything evil, anything wicked, anything bad, because we still have our fallen human nature, because we still live in our physical body. And so Paul says we can be, even as Christians, primarily dominated by our fallen human nature, our flesh, or we can choose, now that we have the Spirit of God living within us, we can choose to primarily be dominated by the Spirit of God. It will never produce perfection, but what it will do is it will produce progress, it will produce victory, it will produce all kinds of things. And so Paul in chapter 8, and we're going to take a couple weeks to go through this because there's so much here. Paul's simply contrasting what life is like in the flesh and what life is like in the Spirit. And in chapter 8, he's laying out a really good argument for anybody that will truly listen to him, saying, why would I ever want to live in the flesh any longer? Why would I not want to be dominated by the Spirit, and yield, and surrender, and submit to the Holy Spirit who lives within us? But we all have that choice. And then Paul's going to tell us that this life in the Spirit, when we truly are are in tune with the Spirit of God that lives within us, he said, we're going to live our lives with such comfort all the time, with such encouragement, with such confidence, uh, because of what the Spirit of God is going to continually be doing if we allow Him to do what God meant for Him to do when He placed the Holy Spirit within us. One of the other things that you're going to see in this chapter is this. You're going to see reference to God the Father. Obviously, you're going to see reference to Jesus, the Son of God. But you're also going to see a lot of reference here in this particular chapter to the Holy Spirit. And what we again learn is how the Trinity is all working together for our good. And and trying to, again, provide so much for us. ...with them that we could never accomplish or or envision or see for ourselves working by ourselves. And yet I want you to note here today that if you read chapter 8... ...and you begin to get in touch with the message of chapter 8... ...you will see that the Holy Spirit is mentioned way more than the other two in this particular chapter. In fact, he's mentioned 20 times in this one chapter... ...more than any other chapter in the New Testament. Because Paul wants us to understand... That they're all working together as God, but at this particular juncture, if you will, of our life with God, we need to learn to walk and live by the Spirit. See, that's why Jesus even told his followers before he went back to heaven, he said, Look, when I leave and go back to the Father, yeah, you're not going to physically be able to walk with me anymore, but it's going to be even better. Because you had me sort of by you while I was here on earth in this physical body that I put myself in. But when I go back to heaven, when you believe in me, you will now have God not just with you. Emmanuel, God with us. You will have God in you. And you will carry God with you every step of the way, every minute of the day. God will be with you through the Holy Spirit of God. So... Paul wants to encourage the Romans. He wants to encourage you today. I hope you'll be ministered to by his spirit today. He starts out this chapter by telling us that there's no condemnation. He ends this chapter by telling us there's no separation. Again, this chapter is all about comfort. It's all about confidence. It's all about assurance. So we begin in verse 1 where he says, There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. In the Greek New Testament, actually, the word no is actually the first word. It's the emphasis. No condemnation, Paul says, to those who are in Christ Jesus. This means that God is never going to reject us. And when we allow the spirit to dominate our lives, this truth becomes a reality that we live by every day. That no matter what we do or what we don't do, we can always live life with the confidence that we will never be rejected by God. You see, we live in a world of rejection. You and I are faced with rejection throughout our life over and over and over again for myriads of reasons why others reject us. And right at the beginning of this chapter, Paul wants to nail this down. He wants to encourage us and comfort us and assure us that though we are rejected by others, we will never be rejected by God. Because notice what he bases this on. It's never based on our performance. Notice he says, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are what? In Christ Jesus. It's not based on our performance. It is based on our position. And when you and I accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Bible teaches we are placed in Christ. And for God to reject us would be like God rejecting himself. He cannot do it. That would contradict who he is as God. He cannot reject himself. Therefore, he cannot reject those who are in him through faith in Jesus Christ. So folks, Paul's saying, when we allow the spirit to dominate our lives rather than the flesh, because when we when we look at things through our fallen nature and when we look at, at things through our flesh, when we allow our flesh to dominate and we begin to live our life more by feelings than by the truth of God, we can end up in a place where we feel very far away from God, where we feel like God's rejected us for some reason or other, and Paul's saying, no, 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 you've got to come back to the truth that the Spirit of God is going to minister to you, and remind yourself, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No rejection is possible, because God already went through, in a sense, condemning our sin, By placing his son Jesus on that cross. And he took all of that for us. Which is what we're going to memorialize later on by taking the Lord's table. Then notice what he goes on to say. He says in verse 2. For the law of the life-giving spirit in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. See we don't have to let sin or death or dying, or the fear of it, or anything, dominate us. Because now we have a greater force within us, the Holy Spirit of God. And that is a greater force than any force that is trying to pull us down or pull us apart from God. Think of it this way. When he talks about this law, if you will, of the life-giving spirit, think of it as the law of thermodynamics in... in Contrast to the law of gravity. We live in a world where we have the law of gravity. And that law is constantly pulling everything back down. But there's a law that can overcome that law of gravity. The law of, thermo, of aerodynamics. And that allows planes and different things to be able to break through the law of gravity that is pulling us down And keeping us at this point and allows us to fly, allows us to rise above, allows us to experience things that we would never be able to experience if there was not a greater law in place than the law of gravity. Paul is saying the law of sin and death is powerful. We talked about that last week, but when we have the Holy Spirit of God... When we have God living within us, we now have a greater law, a law that can help us rise above things, that can help us break through things that we never had apart from having the Holy Spirit. See, one of the things Paul is trying to get us all to see is, look, even as a Christian, I can choose to still live my life on my own and primarily let my flesh drive me and primarily, you know, be by myself. To face life and all that life brings and all of that. But he says, why would I ever want to do this on my own whenever I realize and begin to realize my limitations as a human being? That I'm going to only be able to absorb so much. I'm only going to have so much strength. I'm only going to have so much stamina. I'm only going to have so much wisdom. There's so much as human beings that eventually we get to the point where we realize our lack and our need. And yet he says, but when a Christian realizes that by faith in Christ, I now have God with me all the time living within me that I don't have to face one day by myself, I don't have to face one day in my own wisdom, but I can start to rely on the wisdom that God brings, I don't have to live my life in my own strength, but in the strength that God brings, then I begin to see that my life is not limited by just what I know I can do, or even what I think I can do. My life begins to rise above that and begin to say to God, God, what could you do through me? What do you want to do through me? And see, that opens up a whole then different chapter in our lives. Because up to this point, many Christians, the reason they reach for the things they try to do and achieve the things they do is they know these are the things I can do. Nothing wrong with that to a point. But don't live your whole life just experiencing life from what you alone can do. God wants you and I as Christians now to see what could life be with him and what he could do with me, what he could do through me to where I'm not just limited and I have a ceiling of where I know I can go, but I allow God to break through that ceiling and show me what he can do with me, what he can do through me. That's what Paul's saying here. That's what the law of the life-giving spirit does. And when I begin to be dominated by his spirit, rather than my flesh, all kinds of new things begin to open up to me that I never saw, that I never experienced before at all. Notice in verse 3, he says, for God achieved. God always can achieve more than we can achieve on our own what we can accomplish on our own. God wants us to see that, folks. He wants us to grab a hold of that today. Don't limit your life on what you can achieve alone. Raise your thoughts. Raise the level and say, what could God do? That's the more important question. For what God, God achieved, what the law could not do because it was weakened through the flesh. Again, going back to last week, nothing wrong with the law of God. Law of God has a great purpose. But notice he says it's not that the law was weak. It was that the law was weakened through our flesh. See, because the flesh is weak. That's why Paul is trying to encourage us. Don't you want to be dominated and live in the spiritual realm rather than that human nature flesh realm? Because if you're just living in the flesh you're going to soon realize how weak the flesh is compared to how strong the Spirit is. Notice he says, he did this by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Notice he's making a very important point. Jesus was not sinful, but Jesus appearing in human form looked just like any other man. So he was here in the likeness of sinful flesh. And concerning sin, notice... He doesn't condemn us, but God did have a purpose for His Son coming, and that was to condemn sin. God said, I'm tired of sin dominating. We're going to do something about it. And I'm going to render sin powerless in people who will begin to learn the power of my Spirit in them and to begin to see this law of life-giving that I'm going to place within them, that they can overcome sin that they don't have to be living at this level. They can live on a much different level if they will learn to tap in to that spirit. Notice he goes on to say, so that uh, the righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled in us. In other words, all the things that we could never achieve on our own, we could never live up to the righteous requirements that God demands in his word through the spirit, we can't. We can actually begin to see the things that God says, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I don't. We can actually begin to see those fulfilled in our lives when we live and walk by the spirit rather than trying to do it in our flesh, which is what he goes on to say. He says these can be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. He's saying when Christians learn to take every step with the Spirit of God who lives within them anyway, then their life is going to be on a whole different trajectory, a whole different direction, a whole different way of living when we again capture the comforting, confident words that Paul is sharing with us here in Romans 8. Then notice what he says in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh, have their outlook shaped by the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have their outlook shaped by the things of the Spirit. He's saying, so here's the deal. I can choose to be dominated by my flesh and and begin to build a way of thinking, a mindset, a perspective that is fleshly, or I can begin to be dominated by the Spirit and begin to develop a mindset, a way of thinking, a perspective, That is spiritual. And Paul says, obviously, they're going to look so different. That's why, again, you can take two Christians... And and the one Christian may be still living according to the flesh and letting the flesh primarily develop their way of thinking, the way they look at things. And another Christian may be yielding to the Spirit and letting the Spirit just take over the way they look at things, take over the way they think, take over their perspective, and you're going to have two completely opposite ways of thinking. That's why we need to let the Spirit take over our thinking. Because if we're just looking at things from our fallen human nature, oh my goodness. Well, first of all, we're going to get depressed pretty quick. We're going to get discouraged pretty quick. Our our flesh is going to always concentrate on what we don't have rather than focused on what we do have. Our, our flesh is always going to be focused on the loss of things that eventually is going to come rather than on the things that we're going to continually gain and what we get to look forward to. See, it's a whole different way of thinking. Our flesh is going to end up in fear and anxiety and all that where notice what he says in, in verse uh, 7. He says, the outlook of the flesh is hostile to God. And notice what he says in verse 6. The outlook of the flesh is death, not physical death, but the loss of all that is worthwhile. That's really the outlook. It's it's pretty depressing, pretty discouraging. But notice if I begin to let the spirit shape my thinking, notice what the outlook of the spirit is. Verse six, life and peace. And life here is not just physical life like my heart's still beating. It's again that fulfillment, that satisfaction that comes by having my mind shaped by the Spirit of God rather than me trying to figure things out in my own faulty human reasoning. And then he says, oh, and by the way, you'll know whenever you're allowing the Spirit to control your thinking and your way of thinking, your perspective, because when you and I allow the Spirit to take over our minds... We're going to be at peace. We're not going to have our minds all troubled and and tangled and whatever. There's going to be a tranquility there. There's going to be a contentment there, you see. That's how we know whether the Spirit of God is truly, you know, shaping our outlook or whether we're still trying to do things in the flesh. And that's why Paul is saying, isn't it more beneficial when you begin to see How weak the flesh is, that the flesh ends in death, that the flesh is hostile to God. Why would we ever want to be dominated by the flesh when we don't have to anymore? I mean, for a person that doesn't have Christ in their life, that's all they will know. They have to face life on their own because they've not asked the supernatural helper to come in and help them and aid them. They do life on their own and that's it. And when life gets over their heads, like it will many times, then they have no one to turn to. But for the Christian, we have God living within us. We never have to feel like we are alone. We will never be rejected. We always have a power greater than anything that we will face. And Paul's just saying, shouldn't we begin to take advantage of this new relationship we have with God and how close God is to us and how much God wants to do for us and help us? Shouldn't we begin to learn that kind of life, Paul says? Because it's going to just transform everything. It's going to transform the way we think, The way we look at things, our perspective on things, it's going to transform the way we do life, what our priorities are. It's all going to change. Because the person who's dominated again by the flesh, they're primarily going to spend their energy, their time, their money and everything on things that are physical and things that are temporal. Where the person who's spiritual and being dominated by the spirit is primarily going to spend their time and energy and money and everything on eternal things. On things that, that, you know, are going to last. On, instead of material things, spiritual things, you see. Totally different way of looking at things and thinking about things. Which is why then he goes on to say, notice in verse 7, the outlook of the flesh is not only hostile to God, Our flesh is in opposition to God. It's antagonistic. It doesn't want God to take over our lives. It doesn't want to yield to God. Our flesh wants to do things on its own. It's all about self, you see. And then he goes on to say, it does not even submit to the law of God. It doesn't want to obey or yield to God's law. In fact, he goes on to say in verse 7, it's not even able to do so. That's why, again... People who are dominated by the flesh who are living according to the flesh and they're trying really hard to be better, they're going to fail every time. Because we can't get to where we should or where God wants us or where even we desire to get on our own. It's got to be through the aid of the Holy Spirit. He says verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. You are in union with the spirit of God. If indeed, notice, the spirit of God lives in you. Now, this is a very clear statement. One of the clearest in all scripture. Notice what he says next. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, this person does not belong to him. You can't get any clearer than that. If a person has the Holy Spirit living within them, they're a Christian. That's the mark of a true Christian. Not someone confessing or professing they're a Christian, but truly the Spirit of God lives within them. If he says the Spirit of God is not living inside of you, then you can say you're a Christian all day long. But you're really not. Because the mark of a Christian The mark that one truly belongs to God and is a child of God is that the Spirit of God lives within us. And I want to go back to this because this is important. The word lives there in verse 9 doesn't mean a casual visitor. That word live means someone who continually dwells, someone who's taken up residence. Another encouraging thing, the Spirit of God doesn't come and go like He did in the Old Testament before Jesus came. In the New Testament, when the Spirit of God comes into your life, He's there, my friends. He stays. He lives there. And you are in union with the Spirit of God forever. You see, from that moment on. Notice what he says in verse 10. If Christ is in you, your body is dead, meaning you're inevitably, you and I are going to experience death because of sin, But the spirit is your life because of righteousness. In other words, again, we're not concentrating on the here and now. We're not focused on the physical. We're focused on what's going to last and on the eternal, on, on what really matters. And then he says this. He says, moreover, if the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, has made his home in you, Then the one who raised Christ from the dead will also make your mortal bodies alive through his spirit who lives in you. Another comforting, encouraging thing that builds courage and confidence is the fact that even when I do lay this physical body down at some point, I live forever. God God has another body for me. The spirit of God inside of me guarantees it that even though I'll lay this physical body down I get another body from God made by his hands that's eternal, Paul says, in the heavens. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, Paul says. That's the reality of living in the spirit. That I don't focus as much on this body that's going to keep dying, but I'm more focused on what's to come. And on the eternal body that God is is preparing for me. So then verse 12, so then brothers and sisters, we're not under obligation to the flesh. We have no obligation at all to the flesh. No duty, no responsibility to the flesh at all. Our flesh hasn't done us any good at all. But Paul says, here's what we are an obligation to. We're to live. If you live according to the flesh, verse 13, you will die. And again, he's not talking about physical death. He's talking about the fact that if our focus is fleshly, then we end up living for all that eventually is going to fall through our hands. We can't take it with us. We're eventually going to suffer loss. Because anything that the flesh wants, anything that the flesh grabs a hold of, is temporary. It's fleeting. It's not lasting. And so Paul says, That's why it's so sad when people live from that fleshly perspective, because they pour all their time, all their money, all their energy into things that eventually they can't take to eternity with them anyway. And eventually those things begin to wear out and and aren't any good anyway. He says, why don't you focus on spiritual things? And then he goes on to say, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. He's saying through the spirit of God, we can actually say no to the flesh. We can actually subdue our flesh. Our flesh doesn't have to rule us. All these desires and stuff that our flesh has to satisfy self can be be put down. Because we have a spirit, the spirit of God that lives within us that's stronger and greater than the power of our flesh. Yes, the power of flesh is strong. No doubt about it. Every time I pass brownies, I know the power of the flesh. So power of spirit, he says, can subdue those desires of the flesh. Then he goes on to say... Because you will die. But if by the Spirit you put the death, the deeds of the body, you will live, experience real life. That abundant life. A higher quality of life. And then he says this. Verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Now many people take this verse and use it to speak about God directing them. You know. This is more about leadership than direction. In other words, Paul is saying here, are you as a Christian holding out your hand and letting the Spirit of God lead you to where the Spirit wants to take you? That's what it means to do. Yes, I guess you could say, well, he's giving me direction, but it's not so much like the Spirit is saying to Jeff, Jeff, I want you to go down that road. No, the word he's using here is more like the spirit is saying to Jeff, Jeff, take me by the hand and trust me, start walking with me and see where I'm going to take you. He's not necessarily going to tell us where we're going to end up, but he's saying, will you trust me enough as the spirit of God to put your hand in mine and let me start walking this way? That's what it means. And when he says those who are continually led and allowing the Spirit of God to lead them are the sons of God, the daughters of God. He's simply saying that we then begin to show ourselves as the spiritual offspring of God. We get, begin to resemble the God that we say is our Father, that we say we have a relationship with. Well, the only way we can begin to truly resemble our spiritual parents, if you will, is to allow the spirit of God to take the lead in my life and let him take me where he wants to go. That's what it means to be led by the spirit. Notice in verse 15, you did not receive the spirit of slavery or bondage leading again to fear, which is what the flesh will end up doing. If we're dominated by the flesh, if our outlook is fleshly, it will always end up in fear. He says, but no, you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. He says, when you and I allow the spirit to dominate us, one of the things that will dominate us is the realization that we've been adopted by God. And he says, that should be huge. The the problem is actually today... That's actually less huge in our modern day than it was when Paul wrote this to the Romans. You see, the Romans, for the most part, well, no, completely. It it happens a lot today, but not like it did in Roman society. If you were part of the Roman Empire and you as a family adopted a child, then there was no question that child would be treated exactly like a natural born child. There was no difference at all. In fact, they didn't even use the term adoption after the child was adopted. It was that strong. You treated that son or daughter just like you would treat your own naturally born son or daughter. They had the same rights. They had the same privileges. They had everything. In fact, to illustrate this, even within Roman society, did you know that Nero was adopted? He was ad- adopted by the emperor Claudius. And even though Claudius and his wife had other children, Nero was the one who became the emperor of Rome. Because in the Romans mind, there was no difference between Nero and Claudius's own children. That's how powerful adoption is. And so Paul is saying, Christian, you've got to understand that, that you have been adopted, which means we belong to God. And we are now, we have a whole new family, which is why he says, we cry out, Abba, Father. I now have a relationship with this God. It's not just living by a set of rules and regulations. It's a relationship. It's not a religion. And he said, when we capture that adoption, then we understand. It totally changes the way I look at God. It's totally a different way I look at my brothers and sisters in Christ. Because God has now placed me into a new family. And I'm never alone ever again. And I belong. I belong and there's nothing ever going to separate me from God. I belong. So many human beings today live their whole life striving, working so hard to belong to someone or something. And here God is saying to every Christian, I have adopted you. You're you're in my family now. I am your father and we can now have this intimate relationship with each other. Are we living life from that perspective? Notice the reassurance also in verse 16. He says the spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are God's children. Paul saying when you and I live by the spirit He's constantly and continually reassuring us, giving us evidence that we truly are God's children because God understands even the strongest Christian every once in a while might have a doubt creep in, might have that, you know, thing of maybe God is far away or that we're not close and maybe I'm not a part of his family and the spirit of God continually has a ministry to us of reassurance after reassurance after reassurance. But that's only if we're letting the Spirit of God dominate us rather than our flesh. Because if we let our flesh dominate us, we're going to many times feel very far away from God. We're going to live in fear. We're going to have all these other things dominate us rather than the comfort that the Spirit of God can alone bring. Then I'll end with this verse today. Notice, and if children then heirs. Namely, heirs of God and also fellow heirs with Christ. Now, a couple things. The word heir here speaks about inheritance. And it's a very important word because unlike maybe today, you and I could maybe be in someone's will and we could get an inheritance from somebody But this word speaks about the fact that one is truly not an heir from this perspective until one has actually taken possession of the possessions that are theirs. So get what Paul's saying. He says, look, you and I as Christians have all these great resources available to us. We have this great inheritance and we have the Spirit of God living within us and all these wonderful things. But Paul says, we truly don't become an heir until we take possession of what we possess. And the sad thing is many Christians can live the majority of their Christian lives never really taking possession of what they have in Christ. It's almost like on a much different scale the way slaves were back in 1862. Abraham Lincoln ordered the Emancipation Proclamation, freeing slaves. But obviously there were many slaves that stayed in slavery. One, many slaves couldn't read. Two, many slave owners weren't going to go to their slaves and go, oh, by the way, now you're free, you don't have to work for me anymore. And so many slaves stayed in slavery, even though they had been set free. Sad to say there are many Christians who've been set free. They've been given the spirit. They don't have to let the flesh dominate them anymore. They can have a totally different way of thinking and approaching life and a different perspective. But instead of living in the freedom and the resources and the potential that God has placed within their reach. They continue to live like a slave. They continue to live in, you know, as a pauper. Rather than how rich and wealthy they are, spiritually speaking. That's what it means to be an heir. God is saying through his spirit, take possession of your possessions, Jeff. Begin to live with the resources that I give you and rise, my child, rise. Because he goes on to say, you're a fellow heir with Christ. Christ. Now, not only has he been talking about the fact that we are partners with the spirit and that the spirit of God lives in us permanently. And there's not a thing we can do or go or anywhere where we don't take the spirit with us. But this word fellow heir" literally means in the Greek language, a close partner. And so he's also saying, oh, and by the way, do you realize that you have a partner everywhere you go with everything you do? Jesus, Jesus is right there with you. You begin to see the closeness that he wants us to to get as Christians who are dominated by the Spirit. And then he says this. If indeed we suffer with him. And notice that. He's not denying that we won't suffer here on earth. But notice what he does say. When we suffer, we're going to suffer what? With him. In other words, there's nothing that you and I go through that we go through alone. Alone. That Jesus, the Spirit, and our Father is with us every step of the way. It's not that we won't go through hard times. It's not that we won't experience pain because that's part of being part of a fallen world and having a fallen human nature. We will experience pain and loss and suffering, but we will always go through it with God. We will never go through it alone like many Have chosen to do today. And then we also have the prospect of this. Where Paul says. If indeed we suffer with him. So we may also be glorified with him. Glorified. That's what the spirit will help us to focus on. Not this. But the fact of what's coming. And that will be the hope that we live for. Our glorification. And notice here my friends. It doesn't talk about Jesus being glorified. Notice, he says, we will be glorified. Most of the time we associate glory or being glorified with God. But God here is teaching us something very important. We, because we are in him, we are with him, we are intimately and forever connected with God, we will also be glorified. What's the word glorified mean? It means to be seen or acknowledged for who we really are. See, one day, God is going to be glorified. For all people who don't even believe in God, don't want to acknowledge God, don't believe, you know, in Him at all, one day, they're going to acknowledge, and they're going, yeah, you're God, and you're amazing, and you're great, and you're awesome. But the Bible also teaches us that one day, Because we have by faith accepted Christ, we also will be seen, acknowledged, and recognized for who we really are through Christ. Don't don't wait until you get to heaven to begin to see who you really are in Christ. What the Spirit wants us to do is to begin to see through Him who we are right now. Who we can be through Him. And begin to realize a whole different life, a whole different way of looking at life. Everything can be so different. But because God won't force Himself on any human being, even His own children, that's why He says if you're led... God wants to lead us, but he won't drive us. He won't force us. Then we have the choice. And the choice is even before us today out of Romans 8. I can choose to be dominated by this flesh that really has never done me any good. And only leads to sadness and anxiety and fear and all this other stuff. Or I can begin to be dominated by the spirit. And let the Spirit of God who lives within me every day begin to take over my life and lead me where he wants to. And Paul is saying to the Romans and saying to us, when we allow the Spirit to take over our life, oh my, what a difference. That's true in churches. When churches allow the Spirit of God to take over, look out and see what God can do through a group of people. Which is exactly why I think this series coming up on Tuesday night is so important. That's how it ties into what we're talking about today in the book of Romans. Because what's the appeal of studying the book of Acts? The appeal is to show Christians today, here's what the spirit of God can do when Christians begin to truly be committed to him and committed to one another. That's what the book of Acts is about. It's showing us what a group of people, mere human beings, what God can do through them when we really let the Spirit of God take over. And that's not just true corporately, folks. That's true individually as well. Let the Spirit of God take over your life today. In a moment, in fact, I'm going to go ahead and ask our worship team to come up. Our folks are going to begin to dismiss you all, to go back and... Get the elements of the bread and cup that symbolize our Lord's body and blood that He shed for us and that He had broken for us. As we go back today, let's remember this thought from today's message Jesus did all of that, all of that, all the obedience following all the way to even a cross and death on a cross. Not so that it would end in us establishing a relationship with God and having our sins forgiven. That's great. But Jesus told his own followers, I do this also so that when I leave, I can send the Holy Spirit into your life. And your whole life, not just the moment that you're saved but your whole life even here on earth can rise to a whole different level. That's why Jesus did what he did. So he could open up for us a whole new way of living through the Spirit. As we go back and partake of these today and even get a hold of these, let's remember that we're able to grab a hold of these because of what Jesus did. And we're able to do and go and achieve and accomplish things that we could never do on our own because of what Jesus did, because we have the Spirit. And let's thank Him for that Spirit that He's placed within us and for the work that He did to accomplish that in our lives. Let the Spirit of God begin to dominate us now. When everyone has been served, we would just ask that you would come back to your seat and sing along or meditate or pray or whatever. And then when we are all have been served, we'll take our communion together. Let's stand, please.